the 45th President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. People are so frustrated in this country. Free speech under fire. They're bringing drugs. How desperate the left has become. How desperate Democrats have become. become. They're bringing crime. Dissolution of the country. They're rapists. Sever the ties that unite us as a nation. With the challenges and crises that we face right now, this is not the time to divide this country. Hi, I'm Denzel Mitchell. I'm Tahi Wiggins. And I'm Avery Shivers. And this is Main Street Speaks, a podcast that discusses rural news, politics, and history from the perspective of three college students from the Northern Neck of Virginia. Today, we will be discussing food insecurity, an important issue in itself, but even more so when considering the context of rural areas and COVID-19. But first, a quick recap of the news. And a quick disclaimer here. We recorded these new segments from our individual homes using our own microphones, so the audio quality won't be up to the same standard as the rest of our episodes. But don't worry, the news is the same, and we'll be back to the same quality soon. The sign which informally changed the name from Robert E. Lee Circle to Marcus David Peters Circle in Richmond was cut down recently. The Richmond City Police Department said that it had no involvement in the removal and was not aware who did. A representative of the Department of General Services said that no state officials were involved in the removal either. The sign was erected in honor of Marcus David Peters of Tappahannock, who was killed by police in Richmond while having a mental health episode. The Richmond Police Department said that it will, quote, arrest those it can prove did this without permission, unquote. Company officials this past Friday told 300 workers at the Rolls-Royce plant in Prince George County that the factory was closing due to a decrease in demand amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Experts fear that the closure of this plant could create an economic ripple effect throughout mid-central Virginia. The closure of the plant signifies the economic impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the state of Virginia. According to the Northern Egg News, Omega Protein, the Manhattan fishing company that has an operation in Reedville, Virginia, supports the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission's recent decision to put in place ecological reference points for Atlantic Manhattan. Because a recent study from the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth and the commission itself have both concluded that Manhattan are not overfished, there may not be any new restrictions that affect omega protein directly. But the commission may put in place new restrictions on the harvest of predators of the Atlantic Manhattan in order to prevent overfishing of those species. It is recommended that these restrictions on the predators of Manhattan be put in place because while it was previously believed that maintaining a stable population of Manhattan alone would save species of fish that feed on Manhattan, it has now been realized that these predators cannot reach their target biomass without harvest reductions. Today's discussion centers around food insecurity, but as we'll see, this subject has implications in nearly every sector of society, from education, politics, class, economics, and geography. We're going to bring in an expert on the topic later in the episode, but let's start with some data. Rural counties make up 78% of the counties in the U.S. with the highest overall rates of food insecurity. That's 2.3 million households in rural communities facing hunger. One in five households with children in rural areas is food insecure, 
compared to one in seven households with children in urban areas. This is partially due to higher rates of poverty, but it's also because of increased likelihood of food deserts and a lack of food access infrastructure that may be more present in cities. So for example, public transportation to a nearby grocery store, or even just a general sparsity of food banks. So with that point and with that data, we're now going to bring in another voice, one who's an expert on food insecurity in Virginia specifically. Hi, I'm Eddie Oliver. I'm the executive director for the Federation of Virginia Food Banks, which is a collaborative of the seven regional food banks that serve the Commonwealth of Virginia. We have 1,500 partner agencies and serve about a million people per year. We're really glad that Eddie's with us. He works across the state combating hunger and clearly spends a lot of time thinking about food insecurity as a concept. Because after all, hunger is like a lot of the other ills in our society. So for example, racism isn't just racism. It arises from a long history and has sociological, psychological, and economic implications today. Inadequate infrastructure isn't just bad roads. It's a product of our political and social system and what we value and impacts the everyday person on a regular basis. And food insecurity is the same. Of course, it's not just hunger and the Federation of Virginia Food Banks tries to treat it as such. At its most basic level, uh, food insecurity is a function of poverty. Most of the studies you'll see find that uh, food insecurity is very hard to predict across community types, across race, across gender, across any other demographic, except for income level. Just the less money you have, the more likely you are to be food insecure. And so the food banks, across the country and here in Virginia, and the Federation is, is a leader on this front, we're trying really hard to build partnerships that help us get at more of the root causes of poverty and food insecurity. And, you know, it's part of a larger ecosystem of needs that people have. Um, for example, if you're homeless, you're obviously more likely to be food insecure also. And so how can we work in partnership with organizations that advocate for affordable housing, that advocate for workforce development, um, that start to get a lot at this, this patchwork of social needs that people have. Um, we really feel like we have an obligation to work to shorten the pantry line and not just feed it. We would like to see fewer people dependent on our services. And so, you know, advocating for policies like raising the minimum wage, um, we want to do more of that in partnership with other organizations. Eddie works with communities facing these issues across Virginia. That includes very densely populated ones like Loudoun or Fairfax County and very rural ones like our county. So it must be difficult to have jurisdiction over such a diverse area. That's really the strength of our network um, is the fact that we work with 1500 community partners who are embedded in their communities, have volunteer staff members who really know the unique needs of the communities that they serve. And so the food banks work hard to um, be equitable within their service areas, to deliver additional resources in communities that may not have them handy already. So you have some more affluent parts of the state, like Loudoun County, for example, um, that may have more resources available to them there but what a lot of people don't realize is even though the percentage of food insecurity may be relatively low compared to other parts of the state, the, the numbers are often quite large. 
That being said, are there specialized programs that you employ depending on the area that may take into account, for example, lower mobility in more sparsely populated areas? Not necessarily. We take a uniform approach in the sense that uh, food banks at their most basic component are rescuing food that would otherwise go to waste and delivering it to people who are in need of additional food assistance. So that's the same in any community. We work with grocery stores, manufacturers, we rescue that food and we deliver it to our partner agencies, which may be pantries, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, or other social service agencies. Lately, donations have decreased. Uh, grocery stores have gotten more efficient. And since COVID, have just had less to donate in general because folks have been shopping at grocery stores a lot more and have upended the food supply chain. But in general, food banks have had to do more purchasing, which has allowed us to focus more on sourcing really nutritious foods, on, on purchasing produce and um, fresh dairy and, and items like that, protein, lean protein. And so we've been able to use that to deliver services to um, communities that may not have the infrastructure, such as a pantry or a soup kitchen to serve people in need. So for example, um, food banks have mobile pantry programs, and I would say they most often use those in rural communities that may not have a strong pantry, in pantry infrastructure in place. And so the food bank can deliver a truck's worth of grocery items, serve 200 to 400 households at one time, and um, help meet the need that way. But there are some urban areas in the state that also suffer from a lack of um, a charitable food system infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so we do have food banks who will deliver mobile pantries in urban and suburban areas as well. And you know, speaking of rural communities, we mentioned at the top that people in rural areas face higher rates of food insecurity, which it sounds kind of weird. I mean, I live next to a cornfield, and I know that many others do. Most of us drive by fields that are full of food on our way to school or work. And yet still, there are many in our area who, despite this proximity to fresh food, don't have access to it. The great juxtaposition in our food system of high rates of poverty and food insecurity right next to these great, abundant, productive we have in Virginia and across the country, uh, it's, it's a very powerful image. And it's something we try to put out um, in front of people as much as we can. Um, too few people realize um, how much poverty and food insecurity there is in rural America. I think um, many folks, you know, picture these farms and think that those farms are going straight to people in need, but um, too often they're not. And of course, agriculture is actually Virginia's number one private industry. Um, and yet we have 860,000 food insecure people. And that was before the economic crisis hit that we're currently in. So we think that number is closer to 1.2 or 1.3 million food insecure people in Virginia just this year. Um, it's really, you know, we produce plenty of food and this is true for global hunger as well, not just domestic hunger. Um, it's, a, it's a distribution issue. The, the food we make is not getting to the people who need it. And that's a big part of the reason why food banks were created in the first place was to help solve this, um, this paradox that we live in. And 
it's also a an environmental and sustainability issue. Um, food waste is one of the larger producers of carbon emissions on the planet. And so in, in a way, by rescuing food that would otherwise go to the landfill, food banks are serving that purpose. And we spoke a little little bit about this at the top of the episode, but food banks don't just provide food. They also advocate for policies that will shorten food bank lines. The most notable federal program combating food insecurity is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. You may also remember it as TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or simply food stamps. And whatever you want to call it, the program is absolutely essential to preventing hunger across the country, but especially in rural areas. The USDA reports that rural areas have higher rates of poverty and higher use of SNAP benefits than metropolitan areas, and that SNAP benefits are particularly effective in reducing poverty in rural areas. Yeah, so it's really important for folks to know that for every meal that food banks distribute to food insecure people, SNAP provides nine. So it is a much larger program than anything the food banks do. I mean, we distribute 120 million pounds of food last year, and it's still only a tenth of what the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program provided. So SNAP, of course, is the rebrand of food stamps, which is still how most people know the program. Um, it was rebranded that way because it has a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, a lot of people think it's just uh, a program that uh, people take advantage of, that mainly goes to minority communities and cities. And of course, that's not the case. Lots of different kinds of people benefit from the program, white people, black people, Hispanic people, uh, across rural, urban, suburban. I mean, it's really the um, frontline program in fighting hunger in America. And it's one of the um, primary um, tools that we have to combat poverty in general. It, it actually brought um, hundreds of thousands of households out of poverty um, in recent years just because of the benefits that it provides. So um, we have a few different food banks who have a SNAP outreach program, and there's a lot of mis misinformation about it, a lot of ed education that's needed about who's eligible, about how much money it provides, and so, you know, working with our pantry partners, it's an opportunity for us to get in front of people and make sure they know about the program to fight some of that stigma that's associated with it. We want anyone who's eligible to participate. Um, last I heard, only about 75% of people in Virginia who are eligible for the program are actually taking advantage of it. So that's a pretty large gap there of folks who could be feeding their families with this program uh, and are not. So we've spoken about how SNAP is definitely valuable in the fight against hunger, but we need to think about why we actually need it and programs like it, right? Yeah, it's really important that we advocate for a stronger safety net in general. Um, SNAP is, is not strong enough. The benefits it provides are way too low. The um, minimum benefit is $16 a month. Can you imagine trying to buy groceries with $16 a month, which is what a lot of seniors get um, because their Social Security and um, Medicare benefits are counted as income. And so they're only eligible for often $16 a month. Um, and on average, SNAP pays out about just a little over $4 a day 
that's 139 per meal that folks are expected to um, live on, which is crazy. And that's, not, and that's why they have to come to pantries. Uh, we see a huge influx of people coming into pantries at the end of the month because their SNAP benefits have run out. On average, SNAP benefits last uh, fewer than three weeks of the month. So this whole notion that you know people are scamming the system and not working because they can live off of benefits, um, anyone who thinks that way doesn't understand what living in poverty is actually like and just how hard it is to navigate all these programs to apply for them you know uh coming out of college i had a lot of friends who were um americorps vista members and you guys may be familiar with that program but part of the concept is you live on poverty level wages and while you're giving back to the community and serving and so a lot of them were eligible for snap and would apply and these are college educated people and they could barely figure out the application process. You know, it's, it's, it's way too hard for people to utilize these benefits. Of course, the best uh, anti-hunger program is a good paying job, but too few of those exist. You know, there are way too many states. Uh, I was very glad to see that Virginia has started to increase the minimum wage, but even I think it's up to what, $12 an hour now, um, even that, is is barely a living wage if that um you know so until we have enough jobs for enough people who are able to um take advantage of them and until they actually pay a living wage we're going to need these federal benefit programs while snap is the largest there are other programs with similar aims particularly in rural communities one of them is the food crop the nation tax credit for farmers in Virginia who donate crops to nonprofit food banks. It was basically created to provide financial cover to farmers to rescue surplus produce that they may not have otherwise had the resources to do so. Essentially, it's an income tax credit equal to 30% of the market value of the donated crops. Although this is capped at $5,000 per individual farmer and $250,000 for total credits issued by the state, so obviously with farming as such a significant industry in the rural areas, this credit is particularly relevant. Although like SNAP, it certainly isn't perfect. That was created to um, help incentivize, provide the financial um, uh, cover that farmers need to go and rescue produce that they might not have a market for. And so there's, you know, packing costs, labor costs, transportation costs. Even if farmers do want to donate produce instead of letting it rot in the fields, they have all these other costs they have to cover. So the Food Crop Donation Tax Credit was created a few years ago. We've worked with a lot of our ag partners to uh, promote it. And we have got, we have strengthened some good partnerships with orchards, a cabbage grower in Virginia, and have gotten a good amount of produce from it. Um, but it's, it's at a cap of $5,000 per year, and we think that individual cap is really just not high enough to provide the financial incentive that a lot of growers need. So we're advocating to uh, change that to get the cap increase. But what we're really excited about in a program that a lot of other states have that we wanna see here in Virginia is something called an agriculture surplus system, which would be state funding through the Department of Agriculture that would just give the food banks money to go out and pay those fixed costs to farmers. So they don't have to file for a tax credit. They don't have to put the money up up front. 
they'll have the security of knowing that that money's available to them to pay their staff. And so that will help us start to rescue much more of the tens of millions of pounds that we think is going to waste in Virginia each year that we could capture and get to people who need it. We've talked about SNAP and the food crop donation tax credit, but there's also one more enormous presence countering hunger, and that's schools. It's particularly important that we mention this now when COVID has thrown families into doubt about whether they'll be able to rely on schools for food in the fall. I think a lot of people don't realize the role they play, especially in rural communities, where kids have a place that they can rely on day in and day out throughout the school year to get a high quality meal. During the pandemic, with schools closed, a lot of school nutrition departments have stepped up and um, have done really uh, superhero work, um, getting additional meals out, setting up these grab and go sites where you can drive up in a safe way, get meals for the week and take them home to your kids. But the future of all of that is very uncertain right now as school divisions are figuring out whether they're gonna be doing virtual learning, whether they're gonna be able to do in-person, and the federal administration, the USDA, gave us a lot of waivers, additional benefits during the spring. It's very unclear if they're going to do that in the fall. And so the food banks were very worried about, you know, the increased need we're going to see if kids can't rely on school meals, especially in rural communities where they may have fewer options in terms of food pantries to the degree it is possible. You know, we need to be advocating to our congresspeople and our senators to, first of all, increase SNAP by 15% during this pandemic as food, as food prices have gone up, uh, but also to extend um, Pandemic EBT is a program where families, free and reduced families, have gotten a SNAP-like benefit to go purchase grocery items. We need more of that during the fall, and we need to extend a lot of these waivers so that um, kids can grow up healthy and strong. It's, it's Kids aren't going to be able to learn, especially in a virtual environment, if they're more worried about uh, an empty stomach than they are about what they're learning. Indeed. Well, we want to thank Eddie Oliver for speaking with us and providing his expertise today. Again, he is the director of the Federation of Virginia Food Banks, which in addition to providing millions of pounds of food to Virginians, advocates for policies to reduce food insecurity in general. And I think this topic is really interesting and applicable to a lot of other sectors in society because it really shows the importance of proactivity as well as reactivity. You can be reactive to hunger by donating food banks, but you've also got to be proactive and address the underlying issues that cause it in the first place. We talked at the beginning about how food insecurity isn't just about hunger. It has larger social, political, and economic implications. And it's interesting to think about how what we learned in this episode can be applied in other wide-ranging issues uh, our society faces today. With that, we've reached the end of our episode. This is Main Street Speaks. I'm Denzel Mitchell. I'm Tahi Wiggins. And I'm Avery Shivers. We'll see you next time.